0: Well, we have a vision here at EV Youth. I am pumped to be back here. I've been looking forward to it for a while, but tonight I am really pumped. Who's pumped? Week one or turn one? I'll tell you why I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see what God will do in us and through us this year. You know why? It's because we have a vision and it's the most exciting vision that I have ever heard. Tonight, I want to show you why this youth group exists, and I want whoever's ringing me to stop. <laughs> um, uh, blocked. Good decision. Um, tonight, I want to show you why EV Youth exists. I want you to understand our DNA and our direction, because I want you to get on board with us. Here's our vision to see thousands of teens on the coast come to know Jesus. You know, God's done amazing things over the last couple of years. I've been in awe, but we have not arrived. you know how many teens there are on the central coast? 40,000. And we we can guess about 98 out of 100 of them don't know Jesus. The one who can give them eternal life for free, who can forgive their sins, the only saviour there is. We've got work to do. There's so many left unsaved. We've got the words of eternal life given to us in the Bible. We've got a new hope. We've got a future. We've got a new creation. Can you imagine keeping that stuff to ourselves? If you don't know Jesus yet, that's okay. We're stoked to hear. I want you to come to know him. I want you to come to know him as your saviour and as your king. It's the best decision I ever made. But if you do know him, this is the first part of our vision. We want to see thousands come to know Christ. Are you guys on board with that? Cold, cold crowd. Are you guys on board with that? Yeah. But it doesn't stop there when you become a Christian. That's just the beginning. See, when you meet Jesus, your life starts to change. We're on about being Jesus' followers. The word that Jesus uses is disciples. Now The word disciple means someone who listens to him and follows what he says. That's what it means to be a Christian. We don't want to be half-hearted disciples. You know, We want to be so committed to obeying Jesus that it looks radically different from what the rest of the world is doing. And so the next part of our vision is we want to see thousands come to know Christ as radical disciples. And I'm excited because I believe that this year we're not only going to grow outwards in number, we we pray, but I really believe that we're going to grow upwards in maturity and that this place is going to be different to the rest of the world. Are you pumped for that? (laughs) Yeah. But even that is not the main point. Here's the main point of it already. We believe that Jesus deserves glory, that he deserves all of the honor, all of the credit, all of the praise. And so we want to see each other on fire for that, passionate about his glory. Am I right? Do you want to see that? Yeah, I do. You don't have to yell at me. That's our vision. And I know that we're going to have a ridiculously good time along the way, yeah? I know that. But we're on about something bigger. We're on about something that matters, and that is what gets my heart beating. That's what gets me out of bed to see thousands of teens come to know Jesus on as radical disciples of Jesus on fire for the glory of Jesus. That's our DNA. That's our direction. And I want to know if you're on board. But let me ask you a question. See, that is a lot of fuss to be making about Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you is, is he worth it? Because if he's not worth it, this whole thing's a waste of time. Oh, we might have a lot of fun, but gee, there are easier ways to have fun. So the question is, is Jesus really worth all the fuss? And if so, why? Well, tonight we're looking at the book of the Bible called Luke, and the answer you get in Luke, unsurprisingly, is yes, he's worth it. It all comes down to, to who this guy Jesus is. That's the main thing that Luke's trying to show us in these early chapters, and I don't reckon... There's a better place you could go to try and work that out. You know, lots of people have a theory about Jews. I reckon everyone has a theory. Todd's met some people with some crazy theories, Ali- even an alien and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Not many people have evidence to back up what they think. True. Luke does. He starts his book in chapter one by saying, "I've carefully investigated and I've talked to eyewitnesses," and he wrote down the true facts so that we could have certainty. That's what he says. And and when he wrote it, he we know the date, his uh, eyewitnesses would have still been alive. They would have, they would have been able to if, if Luke wrote down something wrong. Hang on a second, that's not what happened. And Luke would have been open to ridicule. No one would have believed him. And man, as I have been studying the book of Luke, preparing for this term, I've been blown away by how historical this is. You know that the Quran doesn't have many mentions of places or things or people, but Luke is packed with them. I'll tell you about a guy called William Ramsey. In fact, his name was Sir William Ramsey. He was an archaeologist, and not many archaeologists get knighted. You have to be a really good archaeologist to get knighted, and he was. In fact, he was the leading authority on the area of Asia Minor, which is where all this stuff happened, uh, about 100 years ago. He's dead now. But when he was there, he was, the, he was an authority, he was a scholar, and he was not a Christian. When he went to uni, they taught him at uni, the book of Luke, ah, that was written a long time later, has lots of inaccuracies. But then after he studied at university, he went off and became an archaeologist in the area. And the crazy thing was, as he did research, dig after dig confirmed what Luke had written. He said, I'll read your a quote, I began with a mind unfavorable to it. I wasn't expecting to find it true, but more recently I found myself brought into contact with the Book of Acts as an authority for the topography, that means like landscape, antiquities, history, and society of Asia Minor. It was gradually borne upon me, I realized that in various details the narrative showed marvelous truth. I've got another quote from it, it'll come up on here, let's read this. Further study showed that the book, this is an archaeologist's Talking about what he found, show that the book could bear the most minute scrutiny and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statement. I'll show you one more quote because this is so good. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest historians. Lots of people want to say there's no evidence for Jesus. I say there's no evidence that there's no evidence for Jesus. The fact is there's loads of evidence. They, people just don't want to face it. Now, if you want to know more about this, in five weeks, week five in here before youth group, we'll do a talk about it and you can come and examine it for yourself. But here you've got a non-Christian archaeologist saying that Luke is a model historical document accurate to the most minute detail. You just can't pretend that Jesus was a legend. Whatever else he was, he was definitely a real man. Don't fall into the trap of thinking Jesus is an idea to be discussed. He's not. He's a person, which means he's someone you can know. He's someone you can trust. He's someone you can have a relationship with. And so the question that we're asking tonight is, is he worth it? And I can't think of a better place to start than the book of Luke. We're going to come face to face with The real Jesus, what he really did, what he really said. I'm pumped to see that. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is a man that you can't ignore. Now I hope you take home daily read notes, whether you're a Christian or not. I think that there's no better place to go than the primary source to work this out. And so I want you to find the truth for yourself and get reading in there. If you are a Christian, we're a youth group who loves God's word. Reading it is like breathing. We want to do that every day. Uh, We want to hear our father's voice. So get pumped this term as you study it for yourself and in G-teams and here. Get pumped to watch Jesus live. See what he was like. So That's what we're going to do right now. What was he like? Is he worth all the fuss? See, we're looking at chapter 7 in here. There's four events that Jesus talks about. We don't have time to go into all of them. But in each event, there's something that Jesus does or says that shows something about who he is. And then you see how people respond to him. And the challenge is, a really strong challenge from this chapter is how are you going to respond to Jesus? Well, we're going to look closely at one of these events and what what we're going to see basically is that Jesus is a man with authority that you can't ignore. Okay, So look at verse 1. He's just been teaching the people. recognized worldwide as the greatest moral teachings that anyone's ever taught. Verse 1. It says, when Jesus finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, who his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. Have you got the picture? This is Capernaum. All right? It wasn't a big town, 1,500 people. Um, the size from here to Terrigal High School. And I, I love it. I love it. pictures. Others, you can jump on Google Images, search for Capernaum, you can see what it was like. I mean, it's obviously rubble now, but um, it wasn't a big town. And you start to realize these are real people, real events happening. A centurion was um, a soldier in the Roman army, um, would, have, would have led 100 people. That's why it was called a centurion. And you caught there at the end. His servant is sick, really sick. We don't know why. Maybe a bad KFC, maybe he fought. What's his name? Deal in a fight? Maybe he had a piano falling in. We're not sure, but one thing is that we do know he was looking worse than Anthony Mundine. He's about to die. And and I don't know if you ever notice this, but in a small town, everyone knows everything. Do you even find that around here? Like just people know stuff. It's it's creepy. No different back in the day. Actually, way worse because it's a small town. So that's what you you see here. The word's got around. This guy's doing miracles. And so you see in verse three. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent him some elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Makes sense. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and built our synagogue. So Jesus goes with them. um, But then the centurion starts to freak out. He's like, I can't have Jesus come to my house. This is what he says. Verse 6. The centurion sent friends to him. Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Man, that's how you respond to Jesus. You don't come to Jesus like the Jewish people did. I'm worthy, Jesus. I deserve your love. I can see why you love me. We don't. You come to Jesus saying, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve you, Jesus. I'm a sinner. That's why Jesus was rejected by the Jews. You see it over and over again in the book of Luke. It's one of the things that he's writing about. The religious people, the Jews, they rejected him because they didn't think they needed a saviour. Yeah? Verse 4, you see that there? They think it's about deserving it. And that's the problem with religion. It blinds you. It blinds you to the fact that you need a saviour. Religious people actually need to be saved from their religion before they'll even come to Jesus, the true Savior. And it's the same with you and I. Don't come to Jesus saying, I'm good enough. I'm worthy. You're not. I'm not. No one is. Christianity is not about being good enough. It's not about keeping the rules to enter heaven. Like the centurion, you come to Jesus saying, I'm not worthy. And when you come like that, then he listens. Don't try to be worthy. Come to Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I know I'm not worthy, but I want you to be my saviour. I want eternal life. There's another clue in here, actually, about how to respond to Jesus. Second thing to see, you respond to Jesus in faith. How hectic is the centurion's faith in this? Did you see it? He's like, just say the word. You don't even need to come to my place. Just say it. How's that for faith? I'll tell you how you know you've got a lot of faith. It's when Jesus is impressed. You see that in verse 9? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. I don't even know how God can be amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now, you can't copy everything the Bible says, okay? You get into a lot of trouble if you start to do that because lots of us just describing what happens. And if you approach the Bible that way, like it's a description of what happens, so I was going to copy it. You get into a lot of trouble. You're like, oh, Moses got drunk and took his clothes off. Okay. No. <laughs> that's not how you read the Bible. What you do is you look and you see whether the Bible tells you whether that's a good way or a bad way to respond. Sometimes it doesn't say anything. You've got to look other places. Now, I'll tell you what. When Jesus is stoked and amazed, that's a good sign. I reckon that's a good sign that this is something we should copy. We should have this kind of faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Check out what happens. This is nuts. Verse 10. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant. Well, amazing. This isn't a magic trick. He doesn't use medicine. He's not even there. It's just a miracle. Jesus just gives the order and he's healed. Now, maybe you think, and I understand this. I feel like this. Maybe you think, that's impossible. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Miracles are supposed to be impossible. If this guy really is God's son, like he's claiming to be, he's Almighty God, he can do the impossible. Now, I reckon sometimes we hear this so often, this kind of story, it becomes cliche. Yeah, yeah, Jesus healed the sick dude, raised the dead. Don't let it be a cliche. Let this hit you fresh. This really happened. This is history. A servant was about to die. Jesus said the word. And he was instantly healed. I mean, I mean, just imagine if you were there. Imagine you, you, someone runs up to Jono at, after tonight and is like, someone's slipped on the slip and slide into a spike. There's spleen's gone everywhere. There's blood. That's happened before. Not here. Uh, and imagine, you know, this is here, just out the back there. Imagine Jono says, should be right. Blood's gone, spleen's back in, she's fine. You'd be flipping it out. <laughs> You'd be like, what the heck is going on? I'm getting out of here. I'll never go back. It's nuts. That's what happened. Jesus is a real man. But he's a man like no other man the world has ever seen. Do you know what? That's what this centurion realized about Jesus. That's what gave him so much faith. He realizes Jesus has power. In fact, the word he uses is authority, which means the power to give orders. Okay, authority. So that's the third thing you see. Jesus has authority. And this is the whole point. Have a look at verse 8, the whole point of the story. It's what the centurion realized. He says, I myself, he realizes this in Jesus, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion understands authority and he realizes that's who Jesus is. He's a man with authority. The power to give orders. Just think about the authority that Jesus has. Not just to order people around, but to order nature. You go out in the rain and tell it to stop. People think you're crazy. Jesus talks to sickness and it goes. Now, how do you respond when you face authority? I reckon Australians, we just love to stick it to authority. Okay, But it's not a smart move. One time I was driving home late at night. Um, I'd been in Sydney and it was really, really, late. I was exhausted. It was kind of that point where you, you have a little nap. You kind of point your car in the right direction, have a nap, wake up for the next corner. I wasn't quite that bad, but it was pretty close. Traffic right up ahead goes orange. Now, orange means speed up if you can. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it means slow down. <laughs> that's, that's what I wrote for this incident. I didn't notice it. I didn't slow down in time. And by the time I did notice it was too late, so then I had that decision. Do I speed up and try and make it through or do I? No. Nah, I... I just flew straight through. By the time I reached the lights, they're definitely red. Now, the lucky thing is, how's this for luck? There's no other cars on the road. Except for one, <laughs> waiting at the light. It's a police car. <laughs> Siren goes on. So I pull over and I can still remember what he says. He walks up. Mate, that is the worst I have seen. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) I've seen people do that and kill people. Yes, sir. (laughs) I start to explain. He's like, mate, unless you've got a bloody good excuse, I don't want to hear it. Yes, sir. I suddenly discovered they're my favorite words when you're pulled over for running a red light. It's only happened once, but there you go. Yes, sir. Because... It's pointless to ignore. Like imagine if I'd just driven off. (laughs) Stuff you, sir. (laughs) I'd be in jail right now if that happened. You, You can't just ignore authority. Australians like to flip it to it, but ultimately you can't just ignore authority. Now the police have authority over people. Jesus has authority over everything even over disease, nature, and sickness. And the reason is because he's the Lord. It's a word the Bible uses that means boss, master, ruler. Jesus is the Lord over everything. And he's the Lord over us. And he's got authority that you can't ignore. He has the right to rule your life. And how do you respond when you come face to face with this kind of authority? You've got two possible reactions. Number one, you can pretend that you can ignore it which is like driving off when the police siren comes on. Now, you can live your life like that, but you'll face it one day. It'll be way worse then than it would be now. Or number two, you can face reality and come to Jesus as a friend while while he says come. You can come as a friend, not an enemy, and that's the response that makes sense to me. Especially when you realize the other things that Luke writes about in this passage. We don't have time to go into them, but I'll give you the highlights. Verse 13, Jesus has compassion. See, he's powerful, crazy powerful. And in the movies, people are crazy powerful, turn into monsters. Jesus doesn't. It says there his heart went out. Literally, it means his gut wrenched. His love ripped his heart right out of his chest. Do you know that feeling when you love someone so much it hurts? Jesus knows that more than you do. says there Jesus has compassion. Verse 15, he raises a dead guy to life. No kidding, it's there. Luke, good historian. Jesus' power is just limitless. Verse 20, people come up to Jesus and say, Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Jewish Messiah? Are you the saviour king that God has been promising for centuries, the one all our hopes depend on? Jesus says in verse 22, see for yourself, look at what I'm doing. Basically saying, yeah, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the saviour king that God's been promising. Verse 48, I wish we had time to get this. This is an amazing story where Jesus says some of my my favorite words in the whole Bible. A sinful woman comes to him. It's probably a prostitute. Man, the story says, if Jesus knew who this was, he would send her away. Jesus turns to the lady and says to her, Your sins are forgiven. I love it. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. In fact, in this passage, he's called the friend of sinners. It's good news to me because I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I know that. And he's forgiven me. I believe, based on what he says, that he's forgiven me. My past is gone. My guilt is taken away and I'm clean. It's good. And he, he can forgive you. EV Youth is all about Jesus. Is he worth it? Well, we've only seen a small part of the picture, but from what we've seen tonight, I would say he is unquestionably worth it. Luke's historical account here, you can see a man that you can't ignore. Authority you can't ignore. Compassion, why would you want to ignore that? Power. Power. He's the promised saviour sent from God, the, one, the only one who can forgive sins. And that's why our vision makes sense. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. He's a man you can't ignore. And unless people come to him as his disciples on fire for his glory, then they are missing out on eternal life. They're not forgiven. They're living in rebellion against the king. Unless we live as disciples and obey him, then we're ignoring his authority over us. We're ignoring reality and we're not pleasing God. And unless we live to give him glory, we're robbing him of what he deserves. And we're missing out on the main point of life, which is to help people see just how incredible he is. He's a man you can't ignore. And I want to end by saying what I want this year to look like for us. You can see it in the in the way the people in the passage respond to Jesus. Number one, the centurion recognizes Jesus' authority. Guys, this year, let's be a people who listen to Jesus. Here's my vision this year. A youth group full of people who know the thrill of obedience. Who don't just obey when it's easy, but in everything who don't just go along with what our culture says is okay, but who take the Bible and live by that. I'm pumped to see us be that this year. I'm pumped to see a group of people who are different to the world, who are like Jesus. Now, guys, I want to talk to you for a second as seniors. I'm not going to say this to juniors because this is something I really want you to hear. I just came back from a week at another youth group's camp. It was last week, actually. It was a really good time away. It was really good to see another youth group. But i tell you what, I was struck by their culture as a youth group. See, they as a youth group were really unashamed to love Jesus. Their culture as a youth group was one that loved the Bible and that was hungry to hear the talks. As a culture, they were bold. They weren't afraid to pray for each other. They weren't afraid to encourage each other. And this struck me they were really keen to share with each other the stuff they'd been learning. Every night on camp, they have a share time. And, and they all get together and anyone can speak and you can just share with other people stuff you've been thinking about, stuff that you want to see, you know, encouragement from the Bible, whatever. And one guy, I talked to him afterwards and he was like, oh, it felt really good to get that off my chest because he had, in that time, he worked out the courage to tell his mates what he'd done the last year, which was walk away from Jesus. And he was so encouraged to tell them, don't do that. It's not worth it. It, it sucked. And, and he was really, really pumped with that. And, and they were all like that. They had this Jesus-centered culture. And guys, can we have that here? You guys, out of the whole youth group, are the culture setters. You know that? What you guys are, either youth will be right now, and also what they'll be in the future, because you don't realize this, but those guys in there, they look up to you. They're watching you. And that was the biggest thing of all, actually, that stood out to me on that camp of what this culture was like. The older guys and girls were really intentional about getting alongside the younger guys. They really tried to have an impact on them. Guys, as seniors, try to impact the younger guys. You'd be surprised at what an impact you can have on them. Welcome them. Go and make friends with them. Talk to them each week at youth group. Encourage them. Share things that you've been learning with them. Show what it's like to talk about Jesus to people. Challenge them. And above all, be an example to them when we sing, in prayer, in the way you treat people. That was just to you guys as seniors. I want us to make a Jesus-centered culture at youth group. All right, just to finish, so number one, we've got a couple of quick things from here that we want to respond as uh, to Jesus. As Number two, In faith, the centurion sees Jesus and comes to him in faith. It's a natural response to someone with that much power. You trust the promises he makes, and it totally changes the way you pray. So you do what the centurion does. Now, it's not a declaration. There's a theology out there. I don't know if you've heard it. It's a bit silly. It's like if we declare with faith, it will be ours. What? You're not God. You don't declare things. You ask. That's what the centurion does. You ask, and God might. We don't declare. But the centurion does this. He comes to Jesus asking in desperation, but he comes with faith that Jesus would listen to him. And guys, I want that to be how we pray this year. My vision is of a youth group of faith-filled prayer. See, there is a connection in the Bible between our faith and whether God will answer our prayer. It's not the only factor. But there is a connection. And so we're going to pray big things because we know Jesus' power. And we believe he's able to do the impossible. I'm pumped to see what God will do through our prayers. Three, they're in awe of Jesus. That's verse 16. And guys, we want to stand in awe of Jesus this year, amazed by him, wanting to know more, obsessed with him. Number four, they praise Jesus. We want to be a people of praise. Loving to declare him in song, in prayer, in our conversations, just how good he is. That's our vision, right? To see people come to know Jesus, passionate about his glory. And number five, lastly, they spread the word about him. Verse 17 says they can't stop talking. You know, there's nothing unnatural about that. When you're excited about something, you just spread it. Guys, we're going to be people who spread because we can't keep this to ourselves. Talk about it. Invite. Put your hand up if you have heard of someone becoming a Christian through being invited to youth group. It happens. It's so good. Double up's coming up in two weeks. Invite. Invite your mates. I want you to think of three people that you're going to invite. And do it. Pray for them and invite them. Because we want to see them come to know Jesus as Savior and King. He's the man you can't ignore. It's all about him. He is worth it. Be people who listen. People of faith. People in awe. People who praise and people who spread i got a feeling we're going to see some of that happen this year and I'm excited to see that. Now, I'm not going to pray because I want you to. I want you to just turn the people around. If you're not a Christian, if you feel uncomfortable, just say that. That's cool. But if you are a Christian, you want to pray, let's pray that that will happen and pray people come become Christians here. In faith, pray big prayers and then John will take over. Thanks, guys.